Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Listen to the Believe in Vikings podcast with B-Mac and Baker. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Believe in Vikings with B-Mac and Baker. I am your host, Dustin Baker, and I am here with Brian McKinney, Super Bowl champ. And tonight we are going to chat with Ron from Franchise Tagged and then a Vikings lifer, Mike, um, from Wisconsin. Uh, He's been on a couple shows so far. We like his analysis, so we're bringing him back. We're going to talk about some free agency stuff, some uh, coaching staff items, uh, we're going to get into Clint Kubiak and his evolution within the offense. And we're also going to talk about which v- opposing entity we despise the most. Uh, that's what the panel has anyway. But first, we're going to talk about betonline.ag. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. And the only place that you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. Uh, for instance, there's uh, the prop bets out there for Kirk Cousins next year to be about plus 5,500 to win MVP, which means if you got got 100 bucks laying around, you can throw that down, and if Kirk brings home the honors somehow, you'd win about $5,500. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of prop bets with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. Of course, they have that 24-hour online casino. Head to BetOnline or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on the first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, a lot to get into tonight. Um, Regrettably, Antoine Winfield Sr. cannot join the show. We had a uh, scheduling conflict, so we'll work on him for hopefully next week or the week after that. Uh, But I do want to apologize for teasing that to you guys and then not delivering. But uh, he's one of McKinney's buddies, so he should be on the show before too long. So we have a ordinary Vikings analysis show. This week was low on news and then high on speculation per usual. So I kind of extrapolated a handful of those topics for us to go over tonight. Uh, first one is, these are going to be in kind of random order because that's how they came to my brain. Uh, Ron, the Vikings probably should address their three-technique defensive tackle spot um, because it was underwhelming in 2020 like most of the defense. Uh, so for 2021, would you prefer the team do that in free agency or the draft? So with Geno Atkins becoming available available and his connection to Zimmer in Cincinnati, and I know a lot of those defensive players from that tenure there have um, just raved about Zimmer as a coach and as a guy. I remember Pac-Man Jones on uh, Hard Hard Knocks um, talking about how, you know, he probably wouldn't have been in the NFL if it wasn't for Zimmer just with all of his off-the-field stuff. So um, I know the admiration those players have. So being that Atkins is 
in his early thirties, which, you know, is on the wrong side for uh, football terms, but uh, I feel like hmm. his durability up until the last year, I know he missed a lot of time last year, maybe a little bit the year before. Um, he, I don't think he missed many games, if any, um, prior to that. And I think he would be kind of that perfect three technique to go to pair with uh, Michael Pierce on the inside. Um, so that obviously is the pie in the, I mean, JJ Watt would be the, the coup de gras, but I don't see us having the money for that. But uh, someone like Geno Atkins, if they can get him, um, I think he'd be a great fit. Otherwise, yeah, I'm all for the Alabama kid um, in the 14 or even Barmore to get him in the second. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Barmore. I think I mistakenly used the Virginia Tech tackles last name. Yeah, I did too. Cause they had the same first <laughs> name. So yeah. it, it happens. Uh, Mike, what about you? Um, that defensive tackle spot next to the nose tackle, uh, has been somewhat neglected in terms of emphasis. We usually go with Shamar Steven. This year we went with, uh, because of injury, um, would have been Steven. Otherwise, I think we went with Jaleel Johnson. 2018, we had Sheldon Richardson, who did a pretty darn good job. He had a lot of pressures, not a lot of sacks. But in the Zimmer defense, sometimes three technique is overlooked. Uh, where would you like them to beef up the lineup, uh, free agency or draft? So I guess one quick question I have for you, and you're you're usually on top of this. Uh, mm-hmm. what, remind me, what's our cap space look like? Not good. Obviously, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think we're strapped, right? Yeah, we're underwater right now, but we will probably release Rudolph, which will be, you know, real sentimental. And then we can probably extend Anthony Barr, possibly extend Riley Reef. So we'll do what we usually do, um, you know, just work a little bit of the, the backloading magic. Um, and freeze some stuff up. So no, it's not a lot, but it's not as bad as like the saints or the Eagles who are just uh... at this at, as of now, I think we're about eight and a half million over um, on the projected side. So, okay. um, All right. but yeah, it's, it's not as, there are a lot of teams that are far worse shape than what we are right now. Yeah. Of course. The reason I was, I was asking is because I was looking at the uh, free agency list earlier today. And I mean, e- even if you look at just the top hundred free agents out there, there's only about five, defensive linemen that uh mm-hmm. that are on there right and and at the bottom of that list you've got players that are probably not going anywhere like dominic sue and what have you at seven eight million bucks a year all the way up to you know leonard williams at 20 million so i i don't know with our cap space if we're really going to be able to do do something that we'd like to see so you know maybe maybe you try that in the draft and and yeah. try to get lucky cheaper that, that's my thoughts okay uh, mckinney when ron was talking about coaches excuse me, players following coaches. Um, did you experience that? I know maybe you didn't directly in your career, but guys, players saying, oh yeah, I want to just go play for this coach because I played for him elsewhere. Is that is there a real link like that? There is, and then you have some coaches who are familiar with certain players too, because even when Brad Chiggins came, he were artists six from Philly. So you yeah. have it, it goes kind of both ways. When they're familiar with somebody or a player really like likes how a coach coaches, they'll try to trail them. And that coach will we'll go get them when they say they're available. Okay. So that's real. The reason I ask is when I sit down to write a lot of this Viking stuff, uh, that I'm, I'm always coming across that, you know, ties to Mike Zimmer. He's going to go pluck Cincinnati's players because he used to know. <laughs> I, I wonder if I'm doing that too much. Uh, I mean, I know of course it happens, but it really depends on the relationship with that player and their coach though, but okay. not just because they were in the same organization, but they had a good solid relationship yeah. and it's a high chance that that coach, and they feel like they they like that player. Um, they'll make it happen. Okay. Is there a coach we, that 
sorry, is there a co- Brian, is there a coach that you had that um, if they would have went somewhere else that you would have ultimately uh, tried to follow them at some point? I know Tice was a great offensive line mind and then he was the coach here, but like, is that someone who, if he would have left when you were, he would have probably coach Tice would have probably been the only coach for my NFL career that I would have did that with. Okay. Um, I don't see that for anybody else. Do we think that's changed? Um, I mean, it seems like, you know, is, is loyalty still as strong as it was? It just seems like players are moving around a lot, a lot more in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. I think, I don't know. I think players are moving around a lot more because they don't, them, the coach system, like the system, everything, they're not getting along with it. And a lot of these players, um, I've noticed it towards the end of my career are more about themselves and not the team. Um, <laughs> probably share something with y'all. There was like a little altercation with a receiver and, my and a in our coaching staff when I first got the to um my first game in Miami and I'm like what and uh, we were running the ball well we were beating New England and the wide receiver had an issue and they got he became a shoving match in the locker room at halftime and what we did was we now readjusted to accommodate that player and he wasn't being as productive and we ended up losing where we were winning at halftime by running the ball and doing what we were doing but now you now change the game plan to Suit this player, yeah. Who didn't? And you know, I had to say something to him too because you know I'm, I was an older and I was a veteran, and yeah. that came in, the, and I had to pull him to the side after the game. Like, <laughs> you know, you tripping, right? Like, you need to apologize. Like, after the fact, because I've never been a part of anything like that where I see a player and a coach get into an actual shoving match and people have to jump in between. So um, that was different for me, but I knew I was going to say something to him when we got on the bus because they were somebody I was familiar with through another teammate. Um, of mine, they had went to college together, so I was already familiar with them. But I definitely going to take the opportunity to, to say something, like not feel like that was okay. And they listened, and you know, I guess by me being a veteran, and actually, they knew they were wrong, I believe too. And um, they did, they did finally go and apologize, which was needed. But yeah. the attitudes changed yeah. <laughs> toward the end when I was leaving with these players and coaches, and players will feel like. They can never. You can never feel like it's just you because it's a team effort. You know what I mean? It's not like a. It's not like tennis when you're playing the singles. Like you know what I mean? It's a yeah. team thing. So you need everybody. And um, I start. I, I realized that, and I was like, "It's getting different. These, you know, <laughs> these young guys have a different attitude." <laughs> Sounds like it was a throw me the damn ball 2.0, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It was very. Yeah. Yeah. Wide receivers are historic historically boisterous about their demands and it's only increasing now and we saw that in minnesota and that's arguably the reason that Diggs left is because he wanted to go to a place where he could be targeted and guess what he was and it worked uh so sometimes it can work for a game plan and sometimes when you have uh, a run first philosophy as mike zimmer does it's just not in the cards and then you just go get justin jefferson by the way so that works uh on defensive tackle before we move on i also want to point out the name kawan short he is a three technique from the panthers he had got a big contract uh, four years ago and the last two seasons, he's only played five games and he was released as a cap casualty by Carolina. So presumably his stock will be low when he is healthy. When he was healthy in 2018, 2017, he is magnificent. Uh, so I'm curious to see what his dollar amount will be. So keep that name in mind along with Atkins. If we do find a way to um, broaden the penny bank um, for free agency. <laughs> The next one is you know I can bring Gino on. I'm friends with Gino and his mom, Sandra, because my mom are really close too. Really? Yeah. Oh, we might have to take you up on that before free agency so we can get the hype train yeah. moving. So let me know. <laughs> All so right. You're well, here first. Yeah, yeah we, we can talk up Minnesota a little bit. Yeah, so we yeah. might book that one. All right, Mike. 
Mike, but no better time to to pitch Minnesota when Dallas is everything's freezing. So <laughs> right. we're at least equipped for it. So. You might as well. Dustin, you could have breaking news right there, man. You could be Geno's coming to the Vikings. I mean, <laughs> yeah. right. Have him commit on air. <laughs> All right. The next thing I got is for you, Mike, because you are infamously hot and cold on the head coach, uh, Mike Zimmer. So this is a coaching related question. Since the end of 2019, um, this coaching staff has undergone tremendous um, overhaul and Zimmer is really the only man left standing. The offensive coordinator has gone through two cycles now. Surprise, surprise. Uh, George Edwards was, I guess, I don't know if you'd say let go or if he was you know, went to the Packers on his own accord. And he was, you know, kind of like the longtime figurehead of the defense. Uh, then we have the new wide receivers coach and Keenan McCardell. We have the defensive back coach, Carl Scott, University of Alabama. Um, new special teams coach because this one struggled tremendously in 2020. So, uh, what do you think or how do you feel about the fact that Zimmer has either by his own accord or by happenstance has changed this coaching staff in about a year and a half? Yeah. So I think out of all those changes, a couple probably I'm most excited for. Number one is uh, that we brought in Kubiak, right? I, I just think how many, how many OCs has Kirk had um, in, in his career, right? And, and even here with Minnesota. So I think having that uh, consistency, uh, the fact that he was already here, uh, saw the system. I think that's going to be an easier transition than if we just brought in somebody else. And then the other one, I'm really hyped about Keenan coming in. I, I think that, uh, having, having a guy at his caliber to come in and coach the, the talent level we have at that position. Um, sometimes it's just that keen insight I'm guessing, right. Obviously I've never played, but I, I got to think that having somebody who was so money for so many years, coming in and giving you that insight, especially for, for Justin. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm super excited for, for that hire. So those are probably the two, two biggest things that I'm excited for okay. this year. Yeah. That McCardo one came out of, out of nowhere. Did you know yeah. him, Kenny at all? Keenan, Keenan McCardo? No, he was a wide receiver during your playing days, but he played. No, I remember him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought since maybe a Southern market thing, you might know him because you seem to know every, every player. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. <laughs> I uh, love him. Ron, what about you, your thoughts on the, the change in the coaching staff? I actually agree with Mike. Um, I do. Yeah. We've talked about it um, numerous times as well with the, the continuity on offense, I think is huge. And I, while um, it'll be like, I think I mentioned, or I said last week, it'll be same, but different because I feel like every coach wants to add their own, um, their own twist to things, regardless of what it is. So um, I'm looking forward to that. What kind of uh, creativity he might bring with his years with the Vikings, as well as learning from his dad. Um, but then, yeah, Mike, also to your point with Keenan McCardell, I think what the underappreciated part of that hire is McCardell was part of a great wide receiver tandem in Jacksonville with him and Jimmy Smith. So um, that I think is one thing where you're not just dealing with one elite wide receiver and like his experience from it. It's you can kind of get, pick his brain as far as you know or maybe he's that calming presence in a room with uh like hey if balls aren't coming your way like not saying that that if digs were here it would kind of be the same thing but maybe an elder statesman who had done it before who had had success in this league can kind of pull someone aside and be like look you know we're if we're winning games and you're not getting the ball maybe that's something uh you know winning's all that matters. So um, I think that aspect of it could be very helpful to the two of them as well, especially with Thielen um, and Jefferson both. Neither of them seem to be in that diva role of receiver, but um, there was always going to be a point of contention if you start losing and you're not getting the ball. So, yeah. um, 
BMAC, um, when a head coach, either by you know promotion of a coordinator or contract expires, when a coordinator comes in under the same regime, um, does a player notice a difference? So if you know if you have uh, Tice is your guy, but Tice replaces the offensive coordinator. Like, is there a change or is it top down? You know, leadership. No, I, I feel like it's still going to be very similar. Okay. Um, once the head coach is still there, it's like, you know, the operations is, is still going to be the same. You don't have to worry about like a lot of things changing too much. So I feel like it makes people still feel comfortable. Okay. Uh, Ron, we'll stick on the receiver topic. Um, a recent mock draft, I think it was NFL.com, Daniel Jeremiah um, mocked. So a lot of weird things happen on draft night. You can, um, what I'm about to say, you can roll your eyes and say he won't be there, but stranger things have happened. Devonta Smith um, was theorized to fall to the Vikings and picked by the Vikings um, at pick number 14. That would be extraordinary because some uh, mock drafts have Smith going in top five, but we shall see if they did indeed do that. You know, they did the best player available because we don't really need three um, Herculean wide receivers does Adam Thielen become expendable? I don't know if he becomes expendable um, more so than just and not, not using the word interchangeable as a um, as like a detriment to him. But uh, it, just like on the defensive side, uh, you get production out of the backups um, and you can rotate them. Then production from the top guys go up as well because when they are targeted, you know whether it's the, the stamina and the freshness coming into play. So um, I mean, if whether it's uh, Smith or you know I personally like Jamar Chase over Smith, um, maybe just because of the size aspect. But uh, um, if one of them happened to fall and if Vikings take one of them, I'd be fully on board because that sure as hell worked out in '98 when uh, we had two starting receivers and we went and picked a guy who uh, you you know, turn the, turn the yeah. league <laughs> upside yeah. down. So yeah, that, uh, I'm all for it. That's, that's the takeaway there. Uh, Mike, would you be highly enthused about another superstar wide receiver draft pick, or would you be pissed because we neglected the trenches? So I love Thielen. Um, mm-hmm. But man, Dev- what Devante did, I think between right before last college football season. And and you even heard some of the announcers talk about it uh, in the college football playoffs. The thing he worked on last year going in was his explosiveness. Um, and you saw that, I mean, he, he was separating from everybody. Uh, he wasn't just a, a money wide receiver that, you know, I mean, how many years have we seen big time wide receivers get drafted first round and then become busts, right? I mean, we had Treadwell that I think I was really shocked that we took Jefferson last year after the Treadwell experiment. Right. (laughs) So I I think, I think getting Jefferson last year has, has probably helped us. Um, But I would be real hard pressed to pass up on Devontae if, if he's still there. Now the question, Ron, you mentioned, right. His size. I mean, he's not a big guy at all. So can he hold up with the NFL cornerbacks with the size uh, with the additional you know, hitting and stuff like that that comes at the NFL level. I, I don't know, but that would sure be an intriguing pick. Because he's not a burner like Tyreek, is he? he? The comp I've heard of him is is Marvin Harrison. Um, like just yeah. and Harrison, while he had explosiveness to him, like yeah. he was more of that um, tactician of the route runner, okay. being able to just get open um, yeah. and use his elusiveness in the open field. Yeah, so, not not a burner. <laughs> I can't no. say I uh, I watch enough football to know what that means or to 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 know if that's accurate or not. But yeah. uh, the one thing I always look at is it seems like, and I'm totally not uh, not criticizing Alabama and what they do, but it 
other than maybe last year with uh, you know at least Jerry Judy and and Ruggs both being top top picks, um, I feel like their skill positions outside of you know King Henry and his size, but they tend to not necessarily do the best in the NFL like, compared to production in college. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's because in a lot of ways they're so ahead of everyone at the college level that it doesn't necessarily translate. So I'm always a little skeptical of some of those players, but uh, obviously what he did in college and especially in the national championship, you can't be overlooked. Yeah, definitely not a burner, but if you go back and watch tape on him, I mean, his separation off the line is crazy. Like I, I have not seen that in, in a player in ages. And I just think that that skill level is a hundred percent transferable skill to the NFL. So I, I would it would be intriguing. I, I you know I don't know I don't know where we go. I don't know if that means Thielen's expendable or not. It's kind of hard to say even say that. Think of that, yeah. <laughs> right? But uh, man, that'd be intriguing. I hear you. I got a, a weird tangent to touch on real quick. When you it, it, this came to mind when you talked about the skill position players at Alabama, um, not necessarily being you know legendary in the NFL at all times. Why is it? And this is still on football. Why is it that Texas, the state of Texas? is this bastion of football for, for, for folklore for high school football. And then they've only won one national championship in college in like 45 years. Like why don't like, why is it always McKinney schools like Florida and stuff and like Alabama? Like, what am I missing? Why is there no direct link between high school football supremacy in Texas and ever winning national championship outside of the Vince Young year? Anybody? What What do you think about recruiting? I, I don't have the answer, but yeah, it, it must. It, it's something. I mean, I mean, are these Texas high school kids not staying in state? Are they getting recruited by you know these championship caliber teams? I don't know. I yeah, I'd be interested to see. We had a lot that of guys correlation. from Texas when I was at Miami. We had a lot of guys from Texas. A lot of guys were from like Texas, California, yeah, Florida, of course, and then New Jersey. So my, I, I could be completely wrong in this, but my theory in this is just, and again, just a theory, but <laughs> Texas is such a hotbed for high school football. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously like they, like they live, breathe everything there. So um, from an outsider perspective, looking at it, I wonder if maybe those kids like are looking at those schools that are down there, the Texas obviously being the big one and maybe that, you know, you go to Texas, but the high school down the road is probably just as big of a draw on Friday night as Saturday night. So I wonder if that might be the case. Plus I know like Florida and, you know, the SEC conference itself and the ACC, um, you know, there's like, you can either go to the warmer weather in the sunshine of Miami, which obviously Brian, (laughs) that's what you did. uh, Or you can go with the competitive SEC. And um, so again, just a theory, but uh, I wonder if that has something to do with it. It's, it's something and it's always boggled my mind. Uh, McKinney, we, you and I have known each other for about three fourths of a year now, and I've never really heard your story about draft night and your holdout. Can you give us a nutshell? What transpired there? What caused you to hold out when you were drafted? Oh, what caused me to hold out when I was drafted? Um, Roy Williams was the eighth pick to the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And I was very aware of that it's <laughs> slotted, especially the top 10 is supposed to be slotted. So um, I don't think it was at the time, though. It was at the time. That's why that was the whole purpose of the holdout. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's supposed to be slotted. So seven's supposed to be more than eight and, and so on, whatever. So he was number eight. His contract got done before mine. Um, and it got done before Ryan Sims as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan Sims was number six to Kansas City. Um, they told us, Ryan's team and Minnesota told me that he got overpaid. We both were like, that's not our problem. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> we used to make one set. Like, my whole argument was, just pay me one set more than him or something, but I have to get more than him. And they were like, he got overpaid. Well, he got his contract done before ours. Therefore, we have it has to be done where we are making more than him. And that was the whole purpose of the, that was the whole reason of the holdouts that they didn't want to pay us more because they felt he was overpaid. Okay. So I had to hold out now because that was my stance of pay me a penny or something more than this man. So I went through that process. And then, you know, the Vikings at the time always used to uh, have training camp practice against Kansas city. <laughs> and during that period of time, allegedly there was some collusion that took place. So Ryan Sims contract got finished, but mine didn't. And my agency, my agents got, you know, word and we ended up suing at a certain point, the Vikings. And it must was true because they asked me to drop the lawsuit and then they paid me more than the cent than he got and finally brought me in. But it was like, why do I have to go through all that? Yeah. You know what I mean? So okay. I had to go through that whole process of finding out that, you know, there was some collusion uh, between the teams and, and taking them to court. In order for me to sign my contract, I had to drop my lawsuit against them. Okay. It's actually uh, like interesting too, because like that's something that you know you never really hear about, like which that makes total never. sense. Like the guy behind you, like yeah, but you know, like, like, I'm the bad guy because I'm handling no, business. You know what right, I mean? That's what I'm saying. So like, when it's, it's put out in the newspaper, it's like, oh, this kid never played the yeah. you, you had Matt Berg. You had your people speak out on this. Like at the end of the day, all y'all are veterans. Y'all should know this is business right, now. Like right. it's not college. Yeah. Well, no, that's I, what I was saying. Like a, a team of people that you know stood by. Me. I mean, even Jim Brown came to talk to me. I, I was out for 98 days. If I was out for another week, I would have had to go back into the draft the following year. Like, do you know how lonely that is? It's <laughs> October. I'm still not on the field. Not, well, no, not with my team. That's right. Like I said, like, um, you know, it's obviously you, know, you had a long tenure here. So, like, you know, fans, you know, came to see what you were able to bring to the table. But we, I, right. that was something I never knew about I that. It was felt like, like that my welcome, my introduction here wasn't the best because I had to go through that. Because you know of that. So it yeah. looked like I was being selfish. It just looked like a lot of things that I wasn't, but I was actually handling business. Just like if right. the team has to handle business with me, and let me go. Yeah. Why is that okay? Like, yeah, you know right. what I'm saying? This but is like the Draymond Green so thing. Sure I'm good. I look like I'm the bad guy because they can kind of control the narrative and put out what they want to say. Exactly. And like, today's day and age, and it, with Twitter and everything, I'm sure something oh, like that would come to light. About it, but, <laughs> but, but it makes it makes total sense because it's like, yeah, like you're one through eight, like seven should make more than eight and six should make more than seven and so forth. Right. But we don't hear that. We're only looking like, oh, this this guy comes in thinking he's hot, he's a hot shot and he wants exactly. to get paid. So, um, but it was all business. It's all business on our side. Like, I said, give me one set more than right, that's all right, I'm asking right, for. Right. I do got to have a question about that, <laughs> that because, um, like, I know back then it was kind of, um, at least at the time, it seemed like the Vikings had really wanted Sims. And when he got, like, because that went right up to the wire, and, they, like, it seems like that's who they wanted. Now, they were right. obviously happy in selecting you, but was there ever, was that ever in the back of your mind, like, well, you guys really didn't want me. You wanted this guy. And, like, <laughs> well, no, was actually, ever- what was always in my mind was, Originally, they kept telling me I was going to Buffalo, but Mike Williams went there. So I was, I, in my mind, I thought I was going number four to Buffalo. Yeah. And then when I was funny is when I got to Baltimore and they show, you know, they were talking about me still playing and headed to the Super Bowl. Buffalo did a whole article about how they messed up on their pick and they should have got me instead of Mike Williams. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's feel good. Oh, it's too late now. Like, <laughs> well, you got a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Let bygones be bygones. I want to interrupt for just a second to talk about our newest sponsor, which is eBay. Um, whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, um, find the exact shoes you're looking for on eBay. As for the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop a pair um, that you've been eyeing. 
With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators, uh, which is a team of experienced sneaker authenticators. They verify the box, the logo, the stitching, etc., and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee uh, tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verification return process. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell and flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Right. <laughs> All right, Mike, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, needling you here tonight because here's another coach question for you. Right, right. Yeah, um, pick, picked on here. Yep. Does the fact that Andy Reid, who's 60-something, and Bruce Arians, who's 68, those two men broke through to Super Bowl glory in their 60s, does that give you confidence renewed on Mike Zimmer or not? So, I, personally, I don't think age has anything to do with it. Uh, I, I, To me, I think the coaches that succeed in this league are adaptable, right? We talked a few minutes ago how yep. this league is – this league is evolving. It's changing. I mean, you look at what it was. I mean, just watch NFL films for any period of time. And you can just see, you know, drastically different, <laughs> different games. Yeah. Um, so when I look at like an Andy Reed, as an example, um, I, that's a guy that has succeeded in so many different types of style in, in the NFL, I think. So I, you know, I don't think age has anything to do with it. I, I don't think that adaptability is one of Zimmer's strengths. Okay. Um, I think he's more of a, this is my way. I'm an old school coach. This is, you know, we're, we're going to make this work and we're just going to keep fighting and trying to get the right pieces until this works. Um, so I think it's important as he's changing his coaching staff to make sure he finds coaches that are adaptable there. Uh, but I do think we can win with Zim. I, I really do. I'm not an anti-Zim guy, um, but I'm also <laughs> not his number one fan. I, I think he's competent enough to win. He just got to continue to be adaptable because this league's this league is going to adapt whether yeah. he does or not. A little, uh, I, I don't know if I ever revealed this. This is Mike's third show. Uh, Mike sits next to me at all Vikings games, home games. He's my season ticket neighbor. So what I'm basing this off of, off of his his drunken uh, musings over Zimmer, <laughs> things don't usually go pear-shaped in that building. Uh, but yeah, there's sometimes where he gets frustrated during a road game and says, you know, Zimmer this, Zimmer that. So I got to get him back when I have him on yeah. the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Ron, um, on coach age, you know, is age just a number? Uh, what's the deal? Do you think that we should be more encouraged because these elderly coaches are winning Super Bowls? You know, I have no problem with age of court of coaches. Um, I know the for a while there, the trend was uh, get the early 30s or early to mid 30s guys with McVay and Shannon. Oh, that's still the trend. It, it, yeah, it, it's always leaning that way, but it's also, um, yeah, like Mike said, it's, it's all about adaptability and change. Like one of the reasons why I think North Turn didn't work out here was, uh, we our offensive line was that was the worst it had been for a long time. We we needed a yard on third or fourth down. We couldn't get it um, because the offensive line had no push. And uh, but yet his offense was predicated on the deep passes. So what do you do when your offensive line is bad? Let's do seven step drops and get the quarterback killed. Like that seemed like what was going on right up until he left. So to me, like Norv Turner doesn't have that. And I'm not saying he's not a great coach because obviously his time he he's shown that but here it didn't work because he didn't adapt he, it wasn't that we're going to do a quick pass here quick pass there now i do see a little bit of adaptability with zimmer on the offensive end at least because he doesn't do much with it like he might 
like even this series, like when would would you ever seen Zimmer go for it on fourth and one um, inside the five um, with a chance with a field goal to essentially ice it? So he, he's going with the analytics there. I know that's the big thing to do, but um, like that was something that I think shows that he is willing to change and give control to an offense that he trusts. So There's- now we'll hope that that continuity stays with Kubiak's son and uh, that same kind of trust. I would say. In the last two seasons, maybe three, there's been about four or five times where I've text messaged Mike and said, I can't believe that he's going I, for I, it. I was just going to say, I have a text. I have a text <laughs> from Dustin from like a few years ago that says, if we don't get this, Zimmer will never go for it again, ever. Right. And, and we, I don't think we got it on that fourth and one. And, and Zimmer has gone for yeah, it. Yeah, he has. So I should backtrack and say, it's not that he's never adaptable. He, it's, it's not his strength. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a stubborn son of a gun. I think he'd tell you that. (laughs) Hey, Bryant, I got a question for you on that, right? So, how as a player, how 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 do you how do you realize how can you tell when a coach is adaptable or just stuck in their ways? Like, how does that come through to you guys? Children was stuck in his ways. Um, You can tell. You you can just tell by when people give suggestions. They they always wanted to be. I know when I was in certain teams, like when new coaches would come in, sometimes they would try to read coach you and make you do some things like say your skills was already there and good but they would try to want to feel like they were a part of it so they would try to like teach you something else random and make it about them you know what I'm saying and not just that you were already successful so he was a he came with a mindset of we're not gonna have any big names on this team we're still gonna win games but to me I would like that doesn't make sense he like, he came and saying it to the locker room <laughs> I'm like if somebody's gonna make plays and become a big name like right. but he always felt like we don't have to have big names on this team to be a, a, a Super Bowl uh, contender. And other like, well, somebody eventually will be a big name because you're gonna have to be. It's yeah, actually, Brian. One thing I have on that, you said that like coaches come in and want to make their change a player's game to what they were. Now, this is a guy that I I think you went up against in Green Bay, so it actually just reminded me of it. Aaron Campman, like he came in, he was a four three. End and then they I can't remember who the coach was I don't know if it, was, it wasn't Capers I don't think but whoever it was tried to convert him to a three four outside linebacker and then his career just went completely downhill is, is that something like where a coach can come in and completely you, you already know this player's strength this player was already doing well but now you're taking him outside of what he's used to and now make him basically place the same position but almost a different position and it's because you want to kind of make you feel like you did something, but you really didn't. You ended short the man career. And I, I feel like that's a lot of coaches' egos. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes take what you got and improve it, but don't try to change the whole thing. Right. Is that a sign that, of a good coach to adapt the scheme to the fit the players rather than trying to fit exactly. the players? I feel like Coach Tice, like, he was the head coach, but he, at a certain point, um, especially like 05, was sitting me in a room and say, hey, I know they're going to teach you this, but I'm going to make your job even easier. Do this and other. Since I already know what you're capable of, start doing this, cut this up. Like, show me little things to help me improve my game instead of making me just totally change everything I've been taught. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So once you do that to a player, you got the player who naturally wants to do what they physically know and then also at the same time in the back of their mind, they're like, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't do that because when I watch film, you're going to scream about me, about my technique. <laughs> so it, it, can play a lot. it can play with people's like mindset on how they approach things. I think that's a sign of a good leader anyway, right? Whether it's sports or the business world or what have it, they get out of the way, right? Yeah, they right. they let they let the people do what they're great at. They hold the and ship just together. And just help them improve in the area Correct. to be even better. But don't try to change everything. that They have good and bad skills, but help improve on the bad part. But don't try to change even the good and say, well, you should try it this way right. now. Like, why? If the good was already working, 
help yeah. the, the weaker part and help improve that part. But they'll try to come in and change like your whole game. It's I almost think, like last year when Joe Judge, I think the the Giants coach was was signed and hired, and you don't hear much about him. But he's got his press conference, and he said, "Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do, and I'll, it's my job to put you in the place to use that." So, yeah. um, like that actually is one of those things that kind of it seems like it ties all together what you're trying to say. I think on, yeah. on the Childress thing about we don't need big names. I think the only year he got away with it or was able to enforce that was 2006 um, because that was the year before Adrian. That was the first year. Yeah, that was the year before Adrian. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> yeah, it was Brad Johnson, Chester Taylor. Was it Marcus Robinson and Corin yeah. Robinson? Yeah, so. But that's when he said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was probably like, you know, what else is he going to say type of thing because. Why would you say that though? No, no, it was stupid. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And then the but next I was trying year to peek into Adrian. his brain. Because he soon <laughs> he soon was littered with you know big names for Adrian in the draft, Favre uh, right. just by free agency. So uh, how, how awesome would have been if like his uh, his firing conversation, right? If he was brought in and been like, "Hey, Brad, we just we can't have any big names here, right? We got to <laughs> let you go." <laughs> now, now, Brian, one of the things too, like so in. I will, I'll admit, I was never a Childers fan. First of all, when we brought him in, like I was like, you're just Andy Reid's. Like, I wasn't a Childers like, fan either because you know why? He always called me Trey Thompson. He called Donovan. He called Dante Donovan. Tush. And that was so annoying. Like, you know, first of all, my name don't begin with a T. I can see the right, Dante right. and Donovan thing. You keep messing up with that. But after well, a while, you shouldn't if you're the coach. <laughs> right. We thought you were being funny. So I was like, you're being kind of disrespectful. Right. Like, you but know what I mean? I understand you with these guys all these years, but. So for me, like I always looked at it. He's not dumb. He's not dumb. <laughs> when he when he came here and his staff, like I was more impressed with the staff he hired, mainly Mike Tomlin. I had said right from the get go, I'm like, I love this guy. We need to get rid of Childers and promote Tomlin to the head coach. And then of course yeah. Tomlin leaves, goes and you know shows his uh, yeah. merit. But uh, so that was that for me is always the one that got away. Like damn it, he could he would have been a great coach here. Yeah, he would have. Hey, Ron, on um, evolving with the times, or as Mike says, adapting um, with the league, Kubiak, Clint, the son, the new offensive coordinator, hinted at that we, the Vikings, indeed need to evolve the times because he says, or we'll get get passed by. Um, We know what that means because we watch the global product, and presumably he does. But what does that mean? How can he actually do that? Does that mean more motion? Does that mean more deep balls? Like, what do you prophesize he'll actually do with that so i don't know if it necessarily means like getting involved in like all that crazy like chief style of moving people around because ultimately where you where you end up is where you're ending up so but what i do think is philosophically on the um like again i said before where it seemed like every second and one we would always run the ball and i think that's one of the areas of being able to tweak it or say you get off uh off sides on first down now you're first and five don't get vanilla with it and because what we called the run on first down before we're going to call a run again just to stick with it so i think that might be where the where he would allude to again i don't know what his history is as far as uh like play calling ability but i know he's been with this team for a long time and he's yeah. seen um a lot of uh, personnel changes, like going from the power running style that Adrian had um, into now the zone running scheme with Dalvin. So uh, whether that's more three wide receiver sets, more um, you know empty backfields, um, I don't know if that's what he means, but I think there'll be a good mix um, as he's trying to see, find his comfort zone. And I think uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a nice change of pace. In addition to having that philosophy on second one, we also did on second 10 a lot where we'd <laughs> run. And uh, sometimes with Dalvin, I understand it. You know, I get it because he's going to get 
six yards and it's third and four. And we're pretty darn good in that third and four, third and five range Kirk is. Uh, but when it becomes so predictable when it's second and 10, and we know our only goal in that play is to set up for third and short. Yeah. It needs a little bit more creativity. And I got to think Kubiak is younger than me. So in inherently his brain has to realize that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. What about you, uh, Mike? Do you ex- like actually expect to see um, more? So more innovative innovation on offense because ultimately like uh brian said you know the puppet master is zimmer and i i I can't see him getting mad about innovation in offense i mean for gosh sake he dialed up that hit that bomb in the saints playoff game when that was a ballsy call and look you know it, it advanced us around in the playoffs so do you think clint will actually um inspire some innovation so i'm always curious how much leash new coaches get right mm-hmm. so uh how tightly you know the puppet master how tightly is he holding those those strings uh if he if he just gives him free reign um i i think evolving with the times is music to my ears i mean you you've heard me say a million times via text to you right i'm so i'm so damn frustrated with our predictability right <laughs> i am so if, if if i'm if you and me are predicting the play sitting on our couch right i gotta believe that the defensive coordinator knows what's coming too um, so I do think, uh, and I've shared before on this show, I, it's a copycat league. Uh, I feel like we have not done as much of the, uh, copycatting as we should have. And, uh, there's some really, really sweet formations and play calls out there that we've seen creep up over the last handful of years that I have, I've seen work its way into a number of teams, not so much our team. So I'm really hoping that what Kubiak says evolve with the times. I'm hoping that he steals a lot of, a lot of those best practices. I, I think we have the talent to where some of these unique play calls, I don't think to your point, Ron, we, we don't need to get exactly like the chiefs. Um, but man, I would love if we got some more creativity in there. Okay. Um, Brian, this one, the offensive line question. Um, so we aren't sure if our left tackle Riley reef is going to stay or if he's going to go, he might be extended and backloaded the contract that we talked about at the beginning of the show, or he could be an outright release after he got a nice little uh, incentive this off season from the owners. Um, but we have a left tackle that we drafted last year in Ezra Cleveland, and he is like a almost like a power forward type of build in basketball. And he natural position at Boise State was left tackle, and we used him at guard. So I know that you, that would never happen to you um, because you know you're, you're a giant. Uh, but what's the deal with this off this Vikings team interchanging offensive linemen? Is can, is that because of the zone scheme or is that just something they feel like they can unsuccessfully get away with? I feel like that's something they can probably get away with. And then, um, you know, they don't have guys that are like me and Phil who are like <laughs> clearly like six, eight, you know what I mean? So a lot of those guys are like, you know, a similar height. So they can move around and some can play guard and tackle. Did you see, um, did you see teammates or, you know, opposing players move from center over to guard or right tackle over to, you can see, I can see more, I can see more people moving from guard to center than tackle. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, well, we do it all. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I don't really, I you really don't see people go from like center to tackle or guard too much to tackle. Yeah. I, can, but was, uh, I can see more of the guards interchanging and the center interchanging, but not, not too many like tackles, like not too many of them come from inside all the way out. Okay. Just because there's more space out there, it's it's different. Yeah. Um, well, that's where, like, like I just mentioned, Ryan Cook, who I had never liked coming in because that was the pick that we got in trading Culpepper. And so I was always, I always held that animosity towards that pick. But when he was drafted, I think, as a center and they moved him to right tackle. Is that? He was. He, but I always looked at him as a big center, though. 
Okay. He was kind of tall, but so okay. he was a center, but then he moved into tackle. Yeah. So it's like, it's different once you're in, in the center, you know, the center pretty much helps both sides. The center is one-on-one every once in a while, but the center is always the aid. They're going to help somebody. Cause, you know what I mean? Right. There's no one right over you, Yeah. Yeah, unless somebody blitzes. But um, then to move him out of the tackle is like, tackle your feet have to be very good because it's a lot more space out there, you know, right. with the guards, you have the body presence of the tackles to help them. And the, you have the center body presence. So that helps kind of make the space smaller, but with, with tackles out there, you can be on an island at times if you don't have a tight end there or anything like that. So that requires you to have better footwork. So it's really about footwork um, being in the tackles. One more for you, Bryant. And then I have one more for the whole group. Um, so Speaking of centers, ours is Garrett Bradby, Garrett Bradbury, and he was selected with a first-round pick in 2019. And his first two years, I've thought they've been decent for a young man, but the the latest take on him is that he has been underwhelming when you look at the tape and blah, blah, blah. Um, you, when you got your penny more, you came in and made an impact right away. How often did you experience you know your teammates in the offensive line like how long does it sometimes take them three years to get it down like you know to become damn good football players well to me when i got there i, I always looked at myself as like, you're gonna be the weakest link because these guys have been here you yeah. know what i'm saying i'm the new person so i was like if i'm the weakest thing it should be okay because i'm gonna be able to try to raise my level up to like you know what i mean so we're not you know look bad so that's how i look my approach was maybe probably different than some other people's so those guys had been in the room and played with each other. They had Matt Burke and, you know, they had each other already. So me coming in was just, okay, just step your game up and, and, and you know, try not to look like the weakest link. What about your teammates? So if would you, like, in the guy's second year, would you start looking over and saying, like, hey, now it's your time to blossom? Or does he get, like, a third year? Or does that just none of your business? Or? Well, off the line, is, to me, it's all about rhythm. So, you know, as the season, as the first season goes on, Towards the end, you should really like start to gel and start to know okay. how the person next to you is playing and thinking because you're communicating and you should be able to focus on your game. So I don't feel like what offensive line should take as long. You know what I mean? Okay. Yep. It's only but some it's only but so many looks you're going to see. Yeah. You're going to see like <laughs> a five or seven or a nine. They're going to see like a three or two. Or, like you know what I mean? So it's only but so many looks. And then you communicate so you know what what, what linebacker you come. Um, you're you have to be responsible for it. like so it's only but so many looks that you're going to get you just have to recognize and communicate so it shouldn't take you three years okay well, well that's so- on the bradbury part like i know so when he was drafted like at the time we only had one offensive lineman on that team that i think that everyone was viewing as this is like a foundational piece like reef was you know he was coming off of the his foot injury and was kind of struggling um but to, to me bradbury i think has actually done very well um considering he's never had help on either side of him yeah. like you look at like with when it was dozier and when it was samia this year um <laughs> it was like they're they've been graded the two worst guards in football. So how much, like, I know you never played center from that standpoint, but how much of a difference can that make with not necessarily having good guys next to you on the inside, but if you have like horrendously bad guys next to you, like can it that does make a difference? Okay. If, if you have guys next to you that you're not too confident in, it can make a difference because you're kind of glancing over the, you can't totally lock in all the time with the person you have. Cause you're kind of sometimes glancing over to make sure that they're okay. Because it can make you look bad if you get, picked from their guy like if it's a stunt going on so it does make a difference um so like me i was glad i had somebody like hush who i didn't have to like worry about you know that often at all 
Um, you know who I was really happy with one year we had um the big guy from Nebraska. I forget his name. He, he only played like in one game. He got hurt. He like made him lose all this weight. He's like 400 pounds. And then me and him finally playing the game together and him being so big and strong. I was like, great. I never have to worry about it. Like, <laughs> and he only played in that one game and he like ended up hurting himself like towards the end of the game. What was his name? Um, he was from, he went to Nebraska. I can't big. He was a what, guard. What and year? Like earlier in your career? He came in like 2004 or five around that time. We're going to know the name if we figure it out, but uh, <laughs> right. did, did he eventually play more? No, he ended up like they brought him in. They had to go through the process. He was away. And he lost weight. Finally got on the field. Yeah, played in the game, and then like everybody was already intimidating him, and I liked it because now it's like they're scared of both of us. And um, but he only, he got hurt in that game. So was, was he like, drafted he by the Vikings, or was he like no? A- he wasn't drafted by the Vikings. He came in from somewhere else. I okay. want to say he was in my draft class. Okay, and then ended up coming there from somewhere okay. like right. three years later. All right, Brian, here's the deal. We will get his name if you can get him on the show. <laughs> I haven't seen him since he left. <laughs> you know, so it's if our Brian job. To, it's, know, it's, it's our job to find him, it sounds like. You know, if Brian first of all, doesn't we, know his name, do we yeah, want first, him on show? first of all, we got to figure out his name. And then second of all, we got to convince him to come on a Vikings show. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, I'm going to give Ron time to Google this. So I'm going to start our last question. <laughs> and I'm actually very curious. Finoti. Finoti. Like Finoti? Oh, Tony, I remember that name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, him. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that one makes sense. Well, yeah, because yeah, he didn't play much at all after that. I can't. But no, I remember the name now. You had yeah. the jersey, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's the last question of the night for the panel. And I'm curious on your uh, response because there's a lot of choices uh, from what I've heard come from your mouth. Mike, who do you despise more as a Vikings fan? Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or Sean Payton, or other? Oh, this is easy. Uh, <laughs> this, this, is, this is easy. It's uh, A-A-Ron, um, <laughs> Mr. Rodgers. I cannot stand that guy. Um, cannot stand anything to do with the Packers. Uh, he's an annoying. Their fan base is annoying. Uh, their colors are annoying. Their stadium's annoying. Everything about it. It's, it's, it's clearly him. It's not even close. Oh, okay. I thought you would, cause I've heard you say a lot of vile things about Sean Payton and I thought maybe uh, he would be one a, no, it's, it's it, no, it's, there's, I, I do despise them as well, but there's a, there's a huge gap between, uh, between Rogers and, and anybody else. All right, I'll answer this one. Um, mine is other. It's the Green Bay Packers uh, in general. Um, it's just the just seeing them walk out on the field just makes my nerves fly to the moon. Uh, you're you're going to dislike this, Mike, but if Aaron Rodgers actually did leave Green Bay no, and go no, play, for, no. play for the Raiders, I really wouldn't have any ill will toward him. Uh, it's just that he's been so good for so long, and they've had this unprecedented stretch of 27 years worth of quarterback immortality that it irks me uh so they are due to just do what the rest of us do and have a decent guy uh so it's the green bay packers as an entity maybe i should have thrown that there as an option um we'll go to you ron out of rogers wilson payton or other who, who do you despise the most so i guess it depends on how you look at it like so russell wilson off the field i think he's just a tool um i, like, I just i can't stand anything he does off like you know twitter and social media and all of that uh but as a player i have nothing you know i think he's a hell of a player yeah rogers is a hell of a player while i despise him but yeah he like everything green bay everything wisconsin like i 
not yeah. a fan of. Um, the best thing to come out of Wisconsin is 94. Um, but uh, um, so anyway, for me, it is Sean Payton, just because I can't stand that smug look of his um, and, you know, him thinking he's smarter than everyone. And then on top of it, just being kind of one of the ring or allowing Bounty Gate to happen, like you knowingly cheated. Right. Right. and got caught and uh but just every antic since then you know from him skull clapping after uh or be, right before the digs touchdown like you know i wish there was a better video of that um that yeah. would circulate more rather than just the kind of grainy gif but uh those type of things um like a head coach should not have the personality that he does interacting with fans rogers i get you're a competitor you know the discount double check was was cute for a while and it was great to see the Buccaneers stomp them right after that and uh, um, earlier this year but uh, um, everything he does like I get having the fun as a player but coaches should not be interacting with fans like that on that level because um, I mean that just sets a bad precedent but clearly he doesn't care about that either so all right, Bryant, um, this one I'll give to you so you can relate it back to your career and you don't have to uh, you know make any enemies in this but what what player or team did you despise the most during your NFL career? Probably Green Bay. I feel like we were trained to like dislike Green Bay. <laughs> and did so that that's why it was so weird when Brett Favre first came to huddle with us. It was like all these years I didn't like him, <laughs> and now you're in here with us. So yeah. He kind of like looked at me and I kind of laughed. Like I must have been making a face and didn't know it. And he like looked at me and laughed. And I said, oh, "Sorry." <laughs> did your uh, did your loathing of the Packers carry over to Baltimore and Miami, even though they weren't like a threat? Was it ingrained in you? Um, when I got to Baltimore, did I still... Yeah, like, did like, you did, did you always... Well, maybe that's childish of me. Like, did you always have in the back of your mind as a player, like, yeah, I don't like the Packers? Or did that kind of go away for a while? When Did you start hating the Steelers? They started treating, like, teaching me to hate the Steelers. <laughs> like, that was the first game. That was my first game. Like, yeah. when I got there, that was the, we opened up with the Steelers. And, like, the fans were, like, so adamant about it. But, like, if we had to play Green Bay, I still would not, not like them either because I was used to not liking them all yeah. the time. Yeah, I, I still don't really like them. Like when I, I cheer against them. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have any uh, of those uh, like hatred for like towards college teams like that you played against? Um, like um, just Florida State because they talk so much stuff. So <laughs> I was going to care for them. Maybe that's why we haven't had Dalvin on yet. <laughs> yeah. <there you> go. <laughs> I see what you're doing, BMAC. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all the time that we got. Uh, we're going to evidently work on Gino Adkins, maybe Winfield next week. Um, but I will keep Twitter informed of those plans, best laid plans. Um, anything else from you gentlemen? Nope. Oh, thanks. Great show. Great All right. Show thanks always. for, thanks for joining Mike and then Ron and BMAC. We'll talk to you next week and skull Vikings. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.